You're listening to the Blue Box Podcast, and for the next 60 minutes, we're going to be talking about Doctor Who so that you don't have to. Hi, I'm JR. Hello, I'm Lee. I'm Mark. And I'm Simon. Um, oh, and to get us started off tonight, let's have 60 seconds of On The Spot from Simon on the subject of Night of the Doctor. Wasn't it just the most gorgeous gift to fans? We wanted him on the screen and we got him on the screen. And Paul McGowan was there too. Um, just... A bit of absolute um, just genius. Stephen Moffat doing what so many people have not expected him to do, which is to give us what we wanted. And to finally see Paul McGann on screen being the Doctor in the format that he could have been in and joining the whole thing up, the chronology of the series just completely joining up um, was just incredible and how clever to have John Hurt's face like that and and the idea of uh, John Hurt's Doctor being young so we know that the time war went on for a heck of a long time um, You haven't listened to last week's podcast have you? Why is that? <laughs> I haven't, no Well we discussed this and said that because it's a time war John Hurt might well have prematurely aged and might not be as old as we think he is Well, yeah, it's possible It turns out Simon was right if you listened to the dialogue in uh, Day of the Doctor Oh, what does it say? He's, he does mention about how he fought the war for years and years. Mm, mm. That's fair enough. But then Matt Smith's been around for two or three hundred years, and look at him. Exactly. Mm. Yeah. Well, you would. You would. It would grey you, wouldn't it? Uh But um, yes. No. They just. Uh, just. It was just wonderful, wasn't it? And just not long enough, but um, eminently watch- watchable over and over again. And you get something different every time, even in seven minutes. Just incredible. And a wonderful performance from him as well. Gentlemen, as many disgruntled lovers have told me down the years, you can't have it both ways. <laughs> if Big Finish is now unofficially canon following Night of the Doctor, then Paul McGann hasn't been in Doctor Who for longer than Tom Baker, because Tom started in 1974 and is still doing audio plays. I attach my two submissions for the new Blue Box Podcast theme music competition. As JR is the alpha male of the podcast, I thought that the music ought to reflect his own unique contribution to the world. So I present two options, each focusing on one of JR's public incarnations. (laughs) His public face and the face he shows to Mark's children. Keep up the good work, (laughs) Doc Whom, a.k.a. Castellan Spandex, a.k.a. Chancellor Flavorsum, a.k.a. Coordinator Engelbert... (laughs) A.K.A. Cardinal <laughs> Brouhaha. <laughs> Thanks, Doc Hume. I have to say, we, I'll talk about the competition right after. Might as well get it out of the way at the top of the podcast. But I have to say, I downloaded Doc Hume's two uh, submissions for our Blue Box podcast theme music competition. 
And one was the theme from Postman Pat, and the <laughs> other one was I am a cider drinker. Well. <clears throat> what do you think he was trying to say about me, boys? If you're a postman and you like a drink. Of cider. You're a potential mm. copyright Arch issue? Fair. Pardon? I said you're a potential copyright issue? <laughs> I think he's trying to say something about the West Country nature of our podcast. Mm. He says West Country. We've got a lot Night. to talk about tonight, guys. And, well, we did Night of the Doctor last time, really. The first thing that was out of the gate this week... Well, well, here's an email on it, and then we'll get into it, shall we? From Jim Hall. And Jim says, Fans seem delighted by the finale of an adventure in space and time, but Gatiss missed a trick in not having Hartnell and Troughton gaze up to witness a vision of their two waxy heads pickled in time like gherkins <laughs> in a jar. And if, Jim adds, Patterson Joseph had been cast as the 11th Doctor, Hartnell's vision of the show's future could have been even more emotionally charged. <laughs> Guys, what did you think of an adventure in space and time? It was um, uh, everything I hoped it would be. It was. I'm still. I've only watched it once. Um, I do need to watch it again. Um, and as it started, it seemed like an odd mix of things, but it was quite absorbing, um, and certainly extremely emotional, and um, not quite the uh, portrayal of William Hartnell that I thought it would be. Um, certainly for dramatic. Um, for dramatic use, it was a, a very much a sculpted version of William Hartnell, from what I hear. Um, but some lovely moments, and of course, if I'm allowed to spoil, I'm, I'm just—I I imagine that people who are listening to this have watched it. The appearance of Matt Smith made me blub. You big girl. <laughs> no, it's um, I—I <clears throat> I, I was quite affected by it, actually. Um, I'm still thinking about it now. Uh, it's very odd. I. I you know, we are fans of a show that is a fantasy uh, and have been since we were kids. So when we saw the confidentials, for instance, breaking down, you know, the reality of the TV programme in every shape and form, it was kind of like a treat, but you kind of understood it and it was a little bit, you know, distance. This was very personal. This was very, it was a, you know, a biopic of William Hartnell, really, for that, those years. And it was very affecting. I, uh, when, I think by the time he starts crying, saying, I don't want to go, Oh my God, my heart was in my throat and I had a tear in my eye because it was so well crafted, that, that series, uh, that episode rather. It was so beautifully done. Um, and also a brilliant social kind of historical document of the BBC and how it all started and how it treated people in the early days. So yeah, oh, just, I loved it, every every single minute of it. But it did make me very sad. I'd have to watch it, <laughs> you know, when I'm really up. Otherwise it would just make me want to throw myself off a cliff again. But it was, uh, yeah, fantastic. And Mark? I thought uh, David Bradley and Brian Cox deserved a lot of praise for their uh, performances. I thought they were both great. Um, I shouted out loud when I saw Toby Haydoke behind the bar <laughs> in the BBC <laughs> lounge. Slightly against type there, because he doesn't strike me as a particularly racist sort of person. Uh, but obviously, showing off his acting chops there. Um, yeah, I, I quite enjoyed it. It's, as Simon said, it's a, a slightly streamlined version of the event i guess because you, you can only pack so much in even in a 90 minute uh sort of movie length effort um so yeah i think some of the rougher edges of william hartnell's personality might have been 
taken off. But um, yeah, it was quite an affecting piece of TV. Maybe blub a bit at the end. Not sure about the Matt Smith bit. I'm, it kind of took me out of the yeah. the moment a bit. I, I, I agree with you there, actually. I, I liked it, but I kind of mm. thought it didn't really need it. Um, yeah, it did, did take me out of it a little bit. It was... Um, it was a strange thing, and and also, I mean, I watched the King's speech a few uh, weeks ago, and you know, there's a particular depth uh, in a film, the way that they film it, the the money they've got, the music they use. But th- strangely enough, when I was watching this, I thought this could make a brilliant transition as a f- to a film, you mm. know, with a few more, uh, uh, you know, a year, an extra year of filming, really, I suppose, and a bigger budget. This would have made a, a fascinating film in itself. I, I hope it wins awards. It should win in a BAFTA or something like that, shouldn't it? It's brilliant. So, I JR, the important thing is, what did you think? Not much. Oh. <laughs> Which is to say, I enjoyed it, but it suffered from all the things I was kind of hoping it wouldn't suffer from. Which is that... Well, okay, putting on your fan head, it gave you everything you wanted as a fan, right? Mm-hmm. You saw recreations of more episodes actually than people were expecting you even had some of the massacre in there you had the monoptera the cyberman you had all the bits with the daleks and everything else and you know the tardis console and my god did that camera not love that tardis console (laughs) Uh, the director and the cameraman (laughs) they were they filmed those sequences like it was a porn movie. <laughs> I well. mean, it was the camera was almost literally stroking the vinyl there. It was quite shocking to see. And there were times at which I felt distinctly uncomfortable watching it. And at one point, I even reached over for the Kleenex. But having said that, but having said that, I think what it suffered from in my non-fan head is oh, kind of what I was expecting from Mark Gatiss, sadly. He doesn't seem to write human beings terribly well. He's come out of a sort of sketch show background and he has this horrible habit of dropping back into that way of writing. By which I mean almost every scene in there, and there were a lot of scenes which did this, You know, a a scene in a drama will start with a point A and it will get to a point B. And if it's a good drama, the drama itself will have advanced during the course of that scene between point A and point B. But a really good drama will disguise that really well. And a really, really good drama will edit it so that you're not getting that transition during the course of one scene, but across several scenes in a sequence. The trouble with sketch shows is you've got to end on a punchline in a sketch show. So the transition from point A to point B has to be very well defined. And Mark Gatiss, coming from a sketch show background, can't help but write fairly long scenes in which the transition is really easy to see coming. And I have to say, I spent an awful lot of an adventure in space and time watching Mark Gatiss's writing rather than enjoying the characters because I didn't feel the most of the characters felt very human in the writing. They felt like characters in a story rather than people in a life. And it was only the quality of the actors that brought them to life. For instance, brilliant example, Brian Cox did Mm. as much as he did with the part of Sidney Newman, but that was such a caricature. Mm. 
it was almost horrible to watch him being such a caricature at times. He's such a brilliant actor. And he and it's because of the brilliance of his acting that he probably got away with it, but it was such an underwritten and underdeveloped part. Actually, I think and <clears throat> sorry, go on. Go on. I was gonna say my favourite yeah. character who came out of the whole thing was uh Warris Hussain. Mm-hmm. I think he was the yeah. most um uh, again the yeah. most believable. Yes. But again, that was a vastly underwritten part. And I think it was the subtlety of um, the actor's performance in there. Oh, my God. Blanked on his name. Mark, help me out. Sasha Dewan? Yes. I got it. Yeah, he he played it very subtly. Mm. And I think he, uh, for the opposite reason to Brian Cox, who played it very over the top, I think the two of those kind of almost complemented each other in... uh, they kind of leveled each Opposite other out. Way. Yeah. yeah. And then somewhere in the middle you had Verity Lambert and at no point during the course of that drama could I believe in that character as the, quote, piss and vinegar character that she became a catchphrase in being. I couldn't believe how many times they had to repeat that catchphrase yeah, just to try and drumming it into the viewer's head that that's what this character was supposed to be like when patently the on-screen evidence was completely the opposite. Mm. The sort of two or three occasions where she does come out and do something that kind of makes you think, oh yeah, she can be a battle axe when she wants to be, so out of character from what she's like during the rest of it. it. You know, the drama gave the impression that Verity Lambert just kind of accidentally dropped into producing a television programme and didn't she do well? And the truth <laughs> of it is, for five years before Doctor Who, she was making a name for herself yeah. in television as somebody who would go on to do things and it was just a case of finding the right person and the right programme to give her the break to sort of take that step up. But you didn't get that impression at all during well, the course this, of the drama. This is where it was a weird mix, though. Was you know, was it something? It it, it fell between uh, posts in some respects. I I enjoyed it because I am a fan and because it, it touched certain yeah. emotions for me. Yeah. So I did enjoy it. And I it. did and too, in spite of the complaints. Yeah. Yeah. No, this is what I'm saying. I mean, there's certain things in there. Reece Shearsmith, who I, I can I just say I think I'm the only yeah, person what, what who said. What was the idea I, of? I thought well, the he was idea a of having him on choice. is we Jimmy Cranky at the end. I know. <laughs> I said from the start it was a bad choice, but I got shouted down on the forums. Um, I think I think he would have been a good choice if they'd have got him in to do a lot of stuff with the cameras turned off, maybe mm. for a few days beforehand, or even maybe a few hours beforehand, so that he could get into character. But you know what? I got the impression that he just hadn't got into character because, you know, he just had two lines or something. And so it just felt like somebody standing there It looked there a bit like costume. they just kind of pushed him into shot and he suddenly realised, right, oh, I'm on. Say the line. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah it did, it did, because what you, what you really needed at that point in the drama was for the person who was replacing William Hartnell, because William Hartnell by this point is mm. the one character that you follow through the entire thing. Yeah. To replace him, you needed somebody really strong to sort of compound the tragedy of his removal from the series. But when he gets replaced by somebody who seems so weak, it just seems like they're taking the piss. 
Actually, there was, you know a, what I mean? there was a moment when uh, they just showed the photo on the table and I thought, oh, that's all they're going to show of Reese Shearsmith. And mm. uh, in a way, I was thinking, oh, that's brilliant. Oh, well done. Yeah, just a picture on the table. That's all you need. And then, of course, he, that comes, would have worked better. he comes yeah. on at the end. And I, I, you know, don't get me wrong. I think Reese is, is brilliant. I love everything he does, actually. He makes me laugh a lot. Um, but what? <laughs> I just looked at him and thought, hang on a minute, what's going on here? It's a tough gig, though, isn't it? Because, I mean, who is going to go on screen and try and pull off what Patrick Troughton could do? Yeah. Well, yeah, but you don't have to. You just need to be a strong presence on the camera mm. to let the audience know that William Hartnell, or the character of William Hartnell as portrayed in the drama, is being replaced by somebody who's going to do a job with it. Yeah, I mean, they could have, uh, you know, when he came on, he starts talking and then it kind of fades out into a dreamlike thing. But, you know, William Hart is not listening, maybe. And he's kind of like, you know, I don't really care about this. I'm I'm about to leave. So, you know, he goes into his own world a bit like he did when he was seeing things and all that running around in the studio. Um, you didn't need Reese Shearsmith to be so blatantly. I mean, that was a long shot as well, for some reason, instead of doing like a close up or. I don't know, it was bizarre. It was a bizarre scene. It was shot really badly and it was acted not very well. And I just thought it kind of that sport it a little bit for me. Um, On the plus side, uh, we did have lots of nice little cameos from oh, yeah. guys from the past. Oh, which yeah. Was good. But again, they only serve to sort of take you out of it. The bit where he gets this sort of farewell, no, um, Verity Lambert's farewell party, mm -hmm. wasn't it? Yeah. And you're kind of, and this is a pivotal, right, here are. It was one of the other two problems with it. It should have concentrated more on one thing or one person or another rather than... It just didn't seem to know where its focus was. Mm. And um, here's a pivotal moment in the drama. Verity Lambert's leaving and she's been William Hartnell's rock up to this point. And, uh, you know, I think that's what they were trying to show, that Verity Lambert is William Hartnell's rock. And from this point forward, he's going to be floundering a bit, which is indeed what happened in real life. But instead, you've got this scene which should be really gut-wrenching, and all you're doing is looking through the crowd, trying to see who else you recognise. Mm -hmm. Didn't work. It was a case of... The two problems are, as I've just said, doesn't know where its focus is, and then... The other problem is having your cake and eating it because once you've decided to show the rest of William Hartnell's story up to the end, you need to you need to know how to finish it. And they've given it three different endings. They've given it the ending where Patrick Drown comes in. They've given it the sort of ending where William Hartnell gets a glimpse into the future. Mm, yeah. And they've given it the ending where he breaks down in tears at home. Mm, yeah. Any one of those three would have done, would have been mm. sufficient. But all three of them it's like the ending of uh, Lord of the Rings. The French Lieutenant's Woman, <laughs> but the French <laughs> Lieutenant's Woman does that deliberately. The French Lieutenant's Woman deliberately gives you three choices and asks mm. you to choose which one you think is the inverted commas correct ending. But here instead, you've got the scene where Hartnell's breaking down in tears, but he's saying a line that David Tennant said, <laughs> and regardless of whether William Hartnell might actually have said that, all you can actually think of is... Oh, nice nod to David Tennant. Well, this is the thing. And that took you out of the drama. I, it did I, me, anyway. Yeah, yeah. This, this is where I kind of hoped it was going to operate as something where... I mean, I, I, to be fair, I spoke to someone. I spoke to someone who's a, star, a massive Star Trek fan and has just recently started appreciating Doctor Who and actually watched it and found it 
fascinating in, in seeing as where you know how it worked at the BBC yeah. and the history of the show and and I hoped it was going to work like that but I I kind of feel that there were certain elements which made it um, purely a fans affair and then there was other bits which I wanted it to be one thing or the other as you say I want it to either behave as a drama in its own right where it, we are literally seeing a recreation of how the whole thing started or, or we, else just to be fan service. A fan service, yeah. And, you know, and yeah. it affected me in that respect. And it, I, I, I took from it, because, because I have a... a, a, a oh, I, I already have a, a, free, a pre-standing interest in the show. I took an interest in this programme. And so I took from it what I wanted it to. But I do wonder whether somebody who has no interest in it whatsoever would find it an interesting program and would enjoy it in in quite the same way. Because at the end... I think they'd have uh, enjoyed the sort of recreations of what life was like at the BBC. Yeah. But I don't think they'd have got a uh, very much of an appreciation of what these people were like. Mm. I mean, it's beautifully shot. I mean... Yeah, yeah the, it was. It was absolutely stunning to watch. And I think... Yeah, so at I the don't end, know if it come across but, too negative, because... Yeah. By the time I finished watching it, I I felt like I'd enjoyed it, so I don't want to, you know, spend ten minutes just slagging it off. No, I don't, no, 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 no. I'm not sure it merits. Okay. That. Well, I've got one more thing to say, and then we'll move it, on. It was a strange creature, but I loved. I, yeah. I, I enjoyed it, and I loved it. Um, but hmm. it, it was strange, and it is an oddity. Um, but it it will it will be a strange part of Doctor Who history. Yeah, and I wasn't sure. But the. Th- I wasn't sure whether, I mean, I, I'm trying to remember how I felt when I watched it and I was enjoying it. And you're right about having the cameos. That was fun, but it kind of took out away stuff. I mean, I, for the record, I didn't really look at the crowd. I was watching uh, the, you know, William Hartnell walking away and Verity looking through the crowd. I was I was in the story. Uh, but you're right. There are things like that that was that was kind of taking me out. The, the Matt Smith one is an obvious example. But at the end of it, I felt I, I kind of sat back and thought about it because it was quite, it's quite depressing actually. I felt like I was quite depressed after watching it, and it's only now, well, yeah. about three or four days later, that I'm, I think I like things that affect me, that I think about it more and more. So it must have had some kind of effect, and it yeah. was, it didn't feel like it was Doctor Who. It did feel strange, very separate from anything we've ever seen or felt with Doctor Who. Very well, odd. it shouldn't feel like Doctor Who, should it? Because it wasn't no, Doctor it, Who. Exactly. Um, what should have been the other Kleenex moment was the bit with Matt Smith, but that kind of, if you're trying to show it as a tragedy, then I didn't really see the point of throwing in a reference to how successful it would be in the future, particularly as we do know that William Hartnell knew how successful it would be because he was still around during the John Pertwee years when it was massively successful. So I, although the Matt Smith's bit was really nicely shot and beautifully acted by both of the actors you know it just left me scratching my head and wondering why it was there I but found anyway it massively touching it worked for me mm, i found it massively it really touching. didn't for me you know no. that's the problem you're just cold but i enjoyed <laughs> i don't think so because you know <laughs> i'm a, joking. a lot of yeah i think i think the difference is I'll find something that is a fiction and that lives in its own universe far more affecting than something that professes to be fact. And, you know, I have no problem with it playing hard and loose with the facts as long as it knows what it wants to focus on and stays focused on that thing. But because it didn't, 
I just found myself floundering in how I was supposed to feel about it. And my sort of intellectual brain took over and started, you know, looking at all this stuff and wondering why it was there. But, uh, but like I say, the first, if the first half had been expanded to the entire hour and a half, so that it may be finished when the Daleks arrived, and it had been able to concentrate more on those characters and more on the sort of setting up of Doctor Who aspect, I think it would have been far more successful. Mm. Well, there is one thing. Thank God the Pertwee scene didn't appear in it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God, from that photograph. Didn't Mel Gators look awful? What, really? There was going to be a scene, was there? Yeah, originally in the script, the it ended with the photo shoot for the Radio Times from the Three Doctors, <laughs> and Mark Gatiss was going to be um, John Pertwee. Of course he was. That was going to be, I suppose, instead of the Matt Smith bit, that was going to be how William Hartnell would have seen the show carrying on without him and being a success. I see. Mm. And they decided, I guess, to go with the Matt Smith thing instead. Um, so they didn't even bother filming the Mark Gatiss thing, but Mark Gatiss turned up on set on the last day of, or on the day they shot the Patrick Troughton bit, dressed up as John Pertwee, and they took photos and stuff, and oh my God. <laughs> oh. Yeah. That would have been another Kleenex moment, oh. again, for all the wrong reasons. <laughs> yeah, um, shoving Richard them in your Hog eyes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And in my ears as well, I think. I wonder what you would say for a minute, Simon. <laughs> Richard Hogarth says, An adventure in space and time was fantastic. A really fascinating drama that could easily have been two to two and a half hours. I could now see Mark Gatiss as the next showrunner. He carries on to say, The day of the Doctor was epic. Great homages, very surprising cameos, great acting, a very classic series story done with Stephen Moffat's excellent dialogue and groundbreaking modern series special effects and cinematography. I can't wait to watch it again. My brother, on the other hand, made a great point. At the end of the special, the whole time war is resolved in typical fashion, even down to the big red reset button imagery. He says that it kills the last eight years and that Moffat is just resetting the show. But what I thought about is the Doctor Dancers, where at the end he says, Today, just this once, everybody lives. I feel that is the motto for Moffat's run, while RTD was more on the Philip Hinchcliffe, Robert Holmes, let's kill em all motto. We will have to see how this plays out, but I'm wondering how he's going to tie up all the last three seasons in one special now, the Christmas special. I'm excited to see how Gallifrey will come back, but I'm wondering how on earth Daleks, Cybermen, Weeping Angels and The Silence will all be on Trenzalor and how Matt will regenerate. I honestly have to say I've not been this excited for the show in a couple of years. Well, that's Richard, and he's pretty much summed up the rest of our show. Spoilers. <laughs> but... Well, Lee, you can't expect know, not to talk about spoilers in this episode. Yeah. Everybody who's listening to this episode so will I... have seen all there is to see over the weekend. Yeah, I know. So the Weeping Angels are in it then? Well, you, didn't you see the you trailer at the end of the You didn't see the trailer at the no. end of the Day of the Doctor? No, I closed my eyes. <laughs> I always all do. Right. <laughs> well, we'll be talking about it more later in the episode. Don't you so owe my god me, you... Mr. Cockrum. <laughs> I'm a fan, all right? <laughs> And what about the bit when Cookie Monster turned out? That was amazing. What? The oh, I hate you. And the master's in it as a woman. <laughs> what? The master's in it as a woman. Is he winding me up? He's winding me up, isn't he? Is he winding me up, Simon? Well, there is a, an amazing actress in it. 
but that's all I know. Who's playing? Who's playing somebody from the Doctor's past? Oh right. And as it's not the actress who played the part in the Doctor's past, we can only assume that it's somebody who's the who has the ability to regenerate. And there's an email about this later, but we're talking about it now, so <laughs> we'll talk about the day of the Doctor in a minute and talk about the trailer, shall we? <laughs> um, I said I'll see if I can find the email actually, and then we'll. Uh... Ian Martin. Um, oh yeah, because we talked about. He says. Um, I'll read the rest of his email later, but he finishes up by saying, uh, My guess is that the Christmas guest star, who looks a bit like Carol Ann Ford, will be playing Susan and will give her cycle of regenerations to the Doctor somehow. But I've been wrong before. When I was ten, I thought Colin Baker was great. To which I replied, I wonder if she might actually be the master, because that's the Time Lord that we've known across the last several years of the series. Matt Smith's not met the Master yet. Stephen Moffat's not written for the Master yet. And it wouldn't surprise me at all, and I think I've said this before on the podcast or in other places, wouldn't surprise me at all if Stephen Moffat wanted to push that particular envelope by using the Master gender swapping, gender switching, as a kind of precursor to anybody who might want to gender switch the Doctor later. If you actually, if you talk about it, like they did in The Doctor's Wife, right? That's just words. You need to see it on screen in order to properly give precedence to something that people may want to run with in the future. And I think Stephen Moffat might be the kind of writer who'd want to do that. He wouldn't do it with the Doctor necessarily, because that would be a huge switch. But doing it with a cast character like the Master, who doesn't turn up that very often. You know, I could just see Stephen Moffat doing that. And anyway, I emailed that to Ian Martin, and he said, It's a belter of an idea, and a good way to run the concept of gender swapping past the viewers. So I think after I emailed him back, I think I persuaded him. But what do you guys think? Could it be the master? No. I've got this image of Jonathan Price wearing etheric beam locators. <laughs> that was so funny. Uh, no, I don't think so. I hope not. I think it's silly. I mean, if you're going to do that, you might as well make the Rani a bloke. So, you know, why would you do it? Because, let's face it, I mean, the master's... Well, I've just explained it, why you would do it. Because you want to set the precedence down for in case anybody wants to do it in the future. You're talking about the writer who, in his very second story for the series, The Girl in the Fireplace, had the Doctor not just falling in love, but snogging and getting drunk. And then, you know... Dancing losing. all night. Yeah. You know, this mm. is the guy who's done this. Well, yeah, I can... Why wouldn't he okay, do it? I can expect that it would happen. But, uh, you know... I, it would only be for a gimmick or for effect. It can't be anything. You know, the story would have to be bloody good to do that. Kind I don't of thing think to it the would master. be a gimmick. It would be the no, Rani. I... It's got to be the Rani, isn't it? Surely. No. Why the viewers of the last eight nine years of modern Doctor Who have mm. no idea who the Rani is? They know who the Master is. They've had a nod in the dialogue to the fact that Time Lords can gender switch. Indeed, yeah. This is, after all, the writer who rewrote... Um, oh, what was the first episode of the second series of Sherlock Holmes? Not uh, the Belgravia one. Yeah, um, um, yeah Scandal in Belgravia. Scandal in Belgrade. Mm. You look at the way he rewrote Scandal in Belgrade mm. and ask yourself, could he not do justice to the idea of the master turning into a woman? 
You know, I've said all this now, and we've been talking about it for five minutes, and it's going to be the Rani. <laughs> but I just don't believe it will be. Or Romana. It could be. It could well be. That'd be better. This is, after all, going to be the place where the 11th Doctor dies, or mm. the 13th Doctor, or whatever he is. My head hurts. Okay, let's get another email, and then we'll talk about the day of the Doctor instead, shall we? Yeah. Oh, before we do, before we do, um, anybody see the Culture Show, and what did they think? That was really good. I really enjoyed that. So it's the, science. I, the one thing, the only thing I didn't like about it was the way they cut four hours of Richard Marson conversation down into a two-minute thing about JNT shagging. Yeah. That was a bit yeah. sad. But the rest of it was very good. Lee, you were mm. about to say no, it's okay. I didn't see that. Sorry. Okay, well, thanks for sharing that, Lee. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, Simon, I, I, Simon still be it. hanging around. I, I mean well. <laughs> I mean well made the point by staying quiet. <laughs> no, I thought uh, you meant the Brian You didn't Cox see it either. I didn't hear no. what you were saying. Sorry. I thought you meant the science of Doctor Who. It was very good. It reminded me... Well, it didn't remind me, but what it put me in mind of was the Who's Doctor Who program yeah. from the 1970s, mm -hmm. insofar as that the ultimate guide that was on BBC Three was kind of a what-you-would-expect documentary, a bit like the story of Doctor Who was back in 2003. But every now and again, something like Who's Doctor Who or uh, 30 Years in the TARDIS comes along that doesn't just give you a little bit of Doctor Who that you already know, but in a new way that might make you think about it afresh. But that also does the same thing for the idea of the documentary about a television programme. You know, so those that feels to me now like a trilogy of really interesting, really good documentaries about Doctor Who. And, you know, that would make a great afternoon's entertainment, actually. Who's Doctor Who, followed by 30 Years in the TARDIS, mm. followed by... And the only one of the people who made those three that I don't know is the guy who made the first one, which is Melvin Bragg. He should have been at the thing on Sunday. Mm. Should have been. I've drifted off. I've drifted <laughs> off. <laughs> I think for all right. the people who were moaning uh, in January that we should have stuff all the year through. Oh, Mark, we'll come to this. We'll yeah. come to this. Oh. I was going to end up by saying, <laughs> you know, I was going to end up by addressing this point right. because I think it, this point needs a five-minute segment of mm. its own, doesn't mm. it? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Right, Andrew Moore says, In the last few months, we have heard many naysayers tell us how the BBC... Oh, here you go. We're shortchanging us <laughs> with the 50th. Oh, lots of people mention this in emails, mm. but we'll talk about it between ourselves at the mm -hmm. end. He says, I, for one, feel as though they should now shut their mouths. An Adventure in Space and Time was a fantastic piece of television with great performances and period detail for the casual viewer, as well as details and emotional payoffs for the fans. If one of you didn't cry when Matt turned up, I have misjudged you all. Yeah, you missed I hope me. you didn't listen to the first 20 minutes of this <laughs> podcast then. But I can, uh, but I'll just add, I can perfectly understand how and why it would be affecting somebody. But when I watch things, I have to also have my review head on. So I have to be impartial. Anyway, Andrew goes on and says, I saw the special in a cinema and this was my first shared experience of Doctor Who. The atmosphere was amazing. The show itself was all I expected, and whilst it has plot issues, it was exactly the thrill ride we all wanted. Having listened to some other podcasts, I really can't understand the kicking it has taken in some places. Really? Yes. Oh I'm guessing um, Lawrence Miles has probably done a podcast then. 
because <laughs> I can't imagine he thought very much of it. Daily Mail. I have uh, to say, well, though, after I... Because I, obviously I was in London over the weekend, so I didn't get to write my review till Monday, and I wrote a long review, and it took me all day Monday. So it wasn't till Monday night... It took me nearly all day today to read it. <laughs> it wasn't till Monday night that I was able to actually log on to the internet and see what the rest of the world thought about it, and I was very pleasantly surprised. Mm. Even a lot of people who don't like Stephen Moffat's Doctor Who were very complimentary about this episode. Cool, Mars. <coughs> <coughs> <laughs> but what did you three think? Um, well, I haven't watched it a second time yet. I've only I've only saw it on the night. Neither have I. To put it in context, um, me and Simon watched it after his wedding at twelve o'clock at night, being screened on a, uh, a restaurant wall uh, with a PA, which was the best place to watch it. It was brilliant, but we were very tired, um, so it was kind of you know exhaustion watching it. But we were excited and watched it, and I don't know what how Simon felt about it. Felt about it, but I was a little bit nonplussed actually. And um, I think I do need to see it again. There are, I mean, we're going to talk about it anyway. But there were some massive highlights in it. Peter Capaldi's eyebrows, um, and uh, <laughs> there was some very kind of, I don't know, quite averagey stuff going on, and also a lot of massive timey-wimey stuff which I just thought oh really can't we just have a bit of a romp like the five doctors <laughs> um, but I came out of it pleasantly surprised and happy and I know I'm going to enjoy it again a second time round but that was just my first impression so you're going to get a first impression tonight I expect it to be different next time so that's how I felt well that's it. what we usually give first impressions yeah but it's, it, you know, as you know like Doctor Who it, it has this power doesn't it you watch it first off you expecting something it gives you something different you walk away thinking about it and chewing it over and then you watch it again a second time you know what you're going to expect to see and you enjoy it more or less depending but uh, yeah. or else you spend six hours on a Monday writing about it <laughs> and every time you think of the next thing you need to write about you realise how good it was <laughs> well yes that might help I've got a list of things to say but we'll get to all those points I expect um, I much the same as Lee probably through exhaustion and the fact that I was pretty half cut as well but um, <laughs> yeah alcohol did have a factor um, it w- there was a heck of a lot to take in but I loved the filmic. I loved the intro. I loved the fact that the credits mm. came over the top, and I loved the um, slightly ropey TARDIS effects hanging from the helicopter. For some reason, it just didn't look quite right. But anyway, um, but I loved the the, the timey wimey stuff because let's face it: if you're going to stick a load of doctors together, there's got to be timey wimey stuff. So it's going to be a timey wimey story. Um, exactly. So. Um, just, just a head. And who better to write a timey-wimey story than the guy who's turned Doctor Who into a story about time travel yeah. rather than one that just features it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, um, oh, my God, I love John Hurt's Doctor as well. It was just yeah. so much to love. I don't think there was much that... I don't think there was anything that I didn't like, really. Um, From the moment he appears on screen, he just completely sells me that he is the doctor he's a very tired doctor as we know and he's mm. going to be you know all this business about oh, time to grow up you know and uh, do, do you know what's so clever about it is the way that it um it it grabs chunk big chunks of rtd and and classic series and completely makes it its own um and it's complete reverence for what's gone before but at the same time twists it to make it new very, yeah. very, very clever. Um, 
and I even well I even forgave the the snarly Zygons I think because I think I think they worked for the story. Um, I've heard people say, "Oh my god!" and the uh, the um, transformation scene. Yeah. Oh what the? Oh, yeah. yeah. That was a spitting, bit of a shocker. The the blood that thing. went a lot mm. further than I was expecting. It did. It to. Yeah, that was pretty nasty. Um, yeah. I've heard people saying, "Oh, it could have been any monster in there. It could have been it." it you know. It, didn't have to be the Zygons. Yeah, but, but there was a reason. There was a reason it was, it was the Zygons. Yeah, because that's the monster the fans everyone have wants. Been clamoring for that for yeah. so long. <laughs> so what better fiftieth birthday gift to give the fans than the thing that they've been most clamoring for? Yeah, absolutely. Um, but and now it, they've but, made the costumes. They'll be back in a proper story of their own, no doubt. Yeah, and, and it all made sense with the paintings and them going into the paintings and changing their yeah. shape in order to be working within the paintings. I mean, it adds another. It actually adds a depth. To the Zygons in much the same way as the um, the Weeping Angels. They work in much the same way in some respects, if, if you think about it that way. Um, I'm probably going into too much detail now, but no, my, my first oh, impression yeah. was there was a lot to take in. Um, if I went into my second viewing, I will probably uh, verbally <laughs> all over the microphone, so I'm not going to... <laughs> oh, oh, he's just done it now. Oh, dear. Let's just clean that off. That's but, not pleasant. I really enjoyed the interplay between, um, well, all three of them, but particularly between, <laughs> particularly between Smith and Tennant. I thought they were great. I like the fact that they didn't go for the, the sort of Vickery. obvious and have them arguing. And yeah, they just seemed to revel in each other's company. It was absolutely wonderful the stuff between Smith and Tennant. Wasn't it interesting was so... that um, Tennant almost became a middleman because he was the middleman between John mm. Hurt and Matt Smith. And what was clever about the way it was written was that you, it came across that Matt Smith was the more, ma- not mature, but certainly the older of the three. And David yeah. Tennant, you kind of expect to try and take the, the limelight, and he didn't at all. He was very mm. much a, um, a part of the uh, of the the cast, not the star. Um, it just it just worked really well. It was it was Smith and her who were having all the ideas, mm. really. Yeah. The, um, yeah. But not to not to sideline David Tennant, but it kind of and that did feel appropriate. Tennant because Smith is the current mm. and Hurt is the big star guest, mm. so it did feel right and proper that those two should have the lion's share of the important bits. Whereas David Tennant almost felt like he was, you're right, felt like he was there to sort of bolster the performances of mm. the other two. But he's enough of a fan and enough of a professional to come in and do such a wonderful job of that. Yeah. I think it redeemed his doctor for me. Because I've yeah. said many yeah. times before how, you know, by the end of his run, I just really wanted him to go. Um, but now I didn't want him to go. He um, he came across... And actually, he used that line right at the end, didn't yeah. he? He and he did it so much better than uh, I thought they did in The Adventure mm. in Time and Space because they didn't want you to feel anything from that line except a slight pang of nostalgia and yeah. a little bit of amusement. Lee, go on then, butt in if you must. Yeah, um, I thought David, the actor maybe, was in all the interviews and also on screen, seemed to be holding back or didn't seem as happy as he should you would imagine him to be it, it, this performance seemed a little really? bit held, held back yeah you, i didn't get that at all well, go and watch it again no, if you look at Tenant, hang on look at Tennant a few years back he's leaping around like bambi smiling away and you're right he has to temper his acting because <sighs> matt smith's the star um but he is a star as well he's he's all part of it but and i just think if you look at him look at the way he's acting look at his face he's not 
majorly over the moon to be there. Oh, or maybe he is, I don't know. Maybe that's how he wants to play him. But actually, what I kind of put it down to is that maybe David Tennant's been very clever, and this is the period where he knows he's going to die because he's popped off to go and see yeah. Elizabeth I yeah. and his song is ending kind of thing. So maybe he is a little bit down and a little bit mm-hmm. upset. So I'm hoping it's that kind of thing. But even in the interviews, he's not smiling that much. He was on a couple of things, and I just thought, come You're on, joking. mate. joking. Come on, smile Did up, you not see up. him on Graham Norton? Yeah, that was hilarious. Mm, yeah. Uh, maybe it's the kind of the best of, uh, or whatever it was, those other documentaries that he was on he just I don't know it's bizarre I just expected him to be a little bit more chappy um, it didn't come hmm. across but I don't know I don't know maybe he was he was acting it but uh, yeah maybe you do need to watch it again Lee I'll tell you what though I love that bit with the yeah. glasses the bit with the glasses I just oh, yeah beautiful. that was awesome beautiful and the business with the door as well yes yeah I do need to watch it again you're right <laughs> well the bit with the door we'll come to because that is a hugely significant piece in the yeah. entire that's probably it the works most important for most comedic important reasons, scene. but it but yeah. it sets up the the end as well. It's great. Well, disguise is setting up the end too, mm. yeah, because of the comedy end to that scene. I mean, that's a brilliant scene. <clears throat> well, there's kind of a bit of a Stephen Moffat greatest hits going on <laughs> in that. <clears throat> there's a number of things happening in this episode that he's used before. I mean, the ending where Gallifrey disappears and the Daleks are all facing one another. Is straight out of um, Blink, isn't it? That's how the Weeping Angels end up. Yeah, I never thought that until I read your review, and that is a brilliant point. All right, I thought that was quite uh, obvious, Mark. Yeah, I did too. But, but um, you know, and other things like the scene in the undergallery where he sees all the sand on the floor, and he says, "What's all this sand on the floor?" Mm -hmm. Exactly like the scene in the Doctor Dancers, where the typewriter carries on, or. Earlier in the same episode, where it's like, go to your room, this is his room. It's like, you stick something in such plain sight of the viewer that you make them forget to look for it. Well, like the statues in um, the two-parter from Series Yeah, in five. Time of Angels. Yeah. Absolutely. You stick something so, so full in the viewer's faces that they don't even think to look at what they're looking at. Do you can know you, what I'm saying? Can you remind me about the, the reason for that? The, the, the statues were all... Because the statues were that were down pole. there... Yeah. Have, yeah. So that so, the Zygons could take their places. And hide under They make sheets. a big point about saying how nothing's escaped from the vault. Just so they can hide in, under, under some you, sheets. I don't get it. I've forgotten. The Zygons have escaped from the pictures... But they can't escape from the building, so they need to hide somewhere until somebody opens the door. Oh, so what they do is they destroy the statues and hide where the statues were. That's pretty mass and of destroying, course, isn't it, when it turns to powder? They must have really pulverised every small part. <laughs> well, that's the point, Lee. <laughs> it's television. Okay. I love the fact that Zygons can be horses, though. Wow. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that, that was, was hilarious. Cool. Yeah, that was great. Mm, really good. Um, can I go back to that earlier email right at the start of the um, at the start of the episode where somebody said that that the um, the thing with Gallifrey uh, not being destroyed has kind of destroyed eight years. It hasn't because they've made the he made the point that the Doctor doesn't he's not going to remember any of this, so he's still got to go through that journey of believing that he's destroyed Gallifrey up until that point. So no, it doesn't. Yeah. It doesn't undo I think it's all re- of it. Very clever. Because he's he's set up potentially a whole new clean slate to start off with Capaldi, but not done anything to lessen what's gone before. Does Matt, exactly. Does, does Matt Smith forget as well? Does his doctor forget? 
Yes, up until his penultimate well. adventure. What about Jenna Louise? Well, she doesn't need to because she doesn't have all the previous regenerations. She's only just found out, Lee. All right, so she's going to know something that Matt doesn't for a while. Yeah. No, because he's not going to forget at the end of this episode. Oh, but I see. The, yeah, right, okay. Yeah. But the last three years of Matt isn't going to know. Mm-hmm. Got it. I've the, got it. Yeah. Once he's regenerated after David Tennant, he's not suddenly going to get that memory back. Mm. The earlier Matt Smith is not going to know. Yeah. So the whole of the last three incarnations of the Doctor are not going to know that Gallifrey wasn't destroyed. Somebody else brought up a point <laughs> elsewhere. I was going to come to the end of the episode later, but as soon as we've got there already, <laughs> somebody else brought up um, elsewhere. Does this mean the end of time can't have happened? Yeah. Because now Gallifrey's not destroyed. Why would the Time Lords need to escape the Time Lock? But the thing is, the Time Lords are trying to escape the Time Lock at a moment before Gallifrey is destroyed. Now that Gallifrey has not been destroyed, everything that happened up to the point where Gallifrey was destroyed still happens. It's just that that moment, and they even call the device the moment, Mm. you know, as if to make it any more obvious. But right up until that moment, everything stands. And that moment, that specific instant is what's changed. And what changes is what happens thereafter. But of course, the end of time takes place before then it has to otherwise the time lords would have been dead and wouldn't have been able to escape from the time lock so the doctor who thinks that gallifrey's been destroyed because it has disappeared just as it would have had he pressed the button and now that this adventure's taken place he's lost his memory of it not being destroyed and so and so still thinks he's pressed the button so he time locks gallifrey in the months and years and decades up to the point where he thinks Gallifrey was destroyed, to make sure the Time Lords cannot escape from the Time Lock to stop Gallifrey from being destroyed. So the end of time still stands. Did you all follow that? Yep. Yes. Okay, excellent. Let's move on. <laughs> um, that scene, going back to that scene in the cellar, brilliant the way matt smith comes straight down and starts doing a stephen moffat thing which is leaving himself a message so that at some point in the future he can come back and make sure he can get out of the cell so he starts leaving this message actually for um probably for clara actually rather than him but Mm. beside the point you know the point is that's a little stephen moffat thing and then stephen moffat punctures that by having the door open but not only that, you also get the scene with the three sonic screwdrivers where, mm-hmm. you know, because they're three different generations of Doctor, they can set up that as well. That, and that's how you get out of the story yeah, at the end. was genius. I yeah. love that moment. It took 400 years for it to, to translate it or whatever. And there you are. You've got 400 worth of history right in front of you, which was fantastic. Aye. And then the door opens. It's like... It's like Stephen Moffat saved all his best ideas or all his best iterations of his ideas for the anniversary special. He's been planning this for, you know, the last five years. We know he has. Mm. But now we know that he saved all the best bits and stuck them in this episode. Oh, yeah, but... We haven't even mentioned Billy Piper yet. Oh, yeah. She yeah. was no. brilliant. I thought she oh, was we'll awesome. Oh, we'll get there. I was, all I was going to say oh, was... Oh, go on, the then. Bit, now you've been the bit with the I two gone. I was just gone. so glad that she didn't come back as Rose as such. I thought yeah. she did a great job of taking on a slightly different version of the character. And what was really nice about that, the fact that only John Hurt could see her, 
Mm, yeah. Made for some very interesting choices in the acting and the directing. It was brilliant. I really enjoyed that. Mm. Bubble. Um, go on. Simon, you were about to say Yeah, something. yeah, no, I'm I'm just saying about the um her her performance was just fantastic. She was playing another character. Um almost like a caricature of the bad wolf rose. It's just fantastic. And and as you say, the editing and the um some of the shots and the, and the sound was just beautiful. Yeah, it was really well done. Uh, it was a really nice idea to give the machine a conscience that takes on a physical form. Again, it's something that Stephen Moffat does time after time. Mm-hmm. But again, his best iteration of it is here in this episode. What more can you ask for, actually? All his best bits in the same episode. Billy Piper was extraordinarily good. Um she really, really was good in this. I thought she was excellent. Um, but story-wise, I still couldn't quite understand why it would have chosen a a companion from the future to be his, you know, to be the thing he looks at, and also a bad wolf version. I I, I get it that the that the actual weapon is conscious and it's got is a bit tricksy, and it's also a very cle- it's a clever idea that it's a weapon that actually makes you almost opt out of using the weapon <laughs> you know it op- opts out of war almost it kind of talks you out of it brilliant idea or um but, but i just and kind of a and, nice I, and I, lo- I do love the fact that it was billy Piper and it was rose but for story reasons which i, I think you know, why would they use well okay that? but i suppose it's just because it's the 50th isn't it two things there why would the weapon why would a weapon have a conscience and why would it do that well that's a nice tip of the hat to the nuclear bomb because the nuclear bomb is famously the weapon that you're too scared to use. Well, in this instance, it's not that you're too scared to use it, it's that it shamed you into not using it. But it's the same idea, in essence. And why Billy Piper? Well, possibly, and shall we talk about this now? Possibly, is that because that was the part that was written for Christopher Eccleston? Really? Mm. Anybody? Well, no, that's what I'm asking for. That's no, why I said I don't possibly. Think so. I can't see how it could be, could it? Well, what do you think would have been the part that was written for Christopher Eccleston? The War Doctor. Yeah, maybe. That's what I'm saying. Oh, I see. Mm. Mm. Not oh. Billy Piper, you twit. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> John Hurt. <laughs> oh, I see. Okay, yes, that makes sense. Absolutely. Right. Although, you know, that does make sense. But for maybe two or three reasons. One, if Christopher Eccleston had been what we shall call the War Doctor, if that part had been written for Christopher Eccleston, it would still have happened before he met Billy Piper. Hmm. And this one's a more minor one. I don't think this one's much of a quibble. In Rose, we think he's just regenerated because he does all the look at my ears thing. Yeah. Ah, That's a minor thing. That's a piece of continuity. It's easy to overwrite. But the major point is, Christopher Eccleston said he was offered a cameo in the episode. Hmm. And he turned it down because he didn't want to do a cameo in the episode. Now, it strikes me then, it's far more likely that if Christopher Eccleston had turned up, that scene at the end with Tom Baker, that happens just after John Hurt's Doctor goes off, uh, instead of John Hurt going off and regenerating the TARDIS, he would have regenerated on the outside of the TARDIS, and instead of Tom Baker, you'd have got Christopher Eccleston and a completely different, but you know, ostensibly similar version of that scene where it's Christopher Eccleston who gives Matt Smith the sort of the dialogue it needs to get him to that dream sequence at the end. Mm. So I just think if Christopher Eccleston had turned up, we perhaps wouldn't have had Tom Baker. 
I've got I'm glad it turned out the way it did, to be honest. I've got to, mm. I've got to be yeah, honest exactly. that um, if Christopher Eccleston was offered a cameo, I mean, it is a bit of an insult, actually. I would have said, you'd have been better off just saying, listen, listen why don't we just have the three Doctors doing you know, equal amounts? Because actually, Christopher Eccleston, I was thinking about when they're in the forest and they're talking about their glasses and the time Eddie and all that sort of thing. Christopher Eccleston would have been brilliant between the two of them because he would be acting like John Hurt saying, why are you acting like kids all the time? You know, you can see the lines that John Hurt says coming out of Christopher Eccleston's mm. mouth quite nicely. So, Well, yeah, you can. I'd, so maybe Christopher Eccleston was being a bit disingenuous when he said he was only offered a cameo. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think it would have been but, amazing. Uh, but, but, the point I'm making is, you know, some people are saying, oh, the John Hurt part is what Christopher Eccleston would have had. And all I'm saying is not necessarily so. It could just as easily have been the Tom Baker part. Anyway, Tom Baker, guys. Oh, that, yes. that was a lovely moment, but I still don't bloody get why he was there. <laughs> yeah, but it's he like not... he said, does it matter? It's a, yeah, it's a way exactly. of getting Tom Baker in there, as he is now, giving him... Yeah. A role. He is the most popular doctor, as far as I'm aware, in the history of the show. So it was a way. Of and getting also, him in there. um, there's a little bit of explanation in the dialogue if you look for it. Mm. Yeah, he's a he, he's a future doctor. Yeah, he says in the future, you know, a lot of regenerations down the line, you'll start picking some old faces that you used to like. The hint being, this is like the forty seventh Doctor or whatever. I guess you didn't catch that, Lee. I guess I think it's a stupid idea, JR. <laughs> well, maybe it's a stupid idea. Maybe it's not a stupid idea. But if it gets Tom Baker on screen and it gives everybody a little reason to grin about how he may have got there, then I don't mind at all. Well, because it's, it's lovely when he says... Let's be honest. It's not an idea that's ever going to actually get taken up. No, but Matt Smith it's sits just... down and says that, doesn't he? He said, maybe one day I'll retire and become a creator of it, curator yeah. of this. And mm -hmm. lo and behold, yes, he does. And if you've seen Sharda, uh, you know, the bits that exist of it, or read the book, or seen the uh, online version, or listened to the audio, or any of those things, what does Professor Cronotis do? Yes. He kind of retires mm. to Britain, to England, to Cambridge, and lives in his TARDIS in disguise as a schoolroom. <laughs> and you got the roundels on the wall, haven't you? Yeah, you've got the roundels on the wall, but not only that, you have this vault, this undergallery, which is impregnable from the outside, just like a TARDIS. Mm. It's all set up. It's not supposed to be taken entirely seriously, yeah. but it's all set up so that if you want to, you can. So did an asthmatic girl get the scarf then from the doctor, do you think? Or was that just like a throw-in for a bit of fun? I think that's just because she's a fan, just like uh, Malcolm was in Planet yeah. of the I, Dead. Do you know, I was thinking, why didn't they have Malcolm in? Is it just because maybe they thought about Lee Evans or they just wanted a female version of him? Or uh, Well, probably Lee Evans isn't that easy to get, Lee. Okay. <laughs> you know, well, you, you have know. to be practical as well. Yeah, but I'm sure Lee would, Evans would jump at the chance if he would, was offered it, unless, of course, he is on tour. You'd have to have an extra. Yes, he may. There's also the new character, the fact she's got the asthma, because you've got that nice moment, haven't you, where the Zygons don't know if they're human mm -hmm. or not. And then yeah. ultimately, there's the thing with the... Um... The inhaler. Yeah. Yeah. Also, that's something I've heard brought up. 
the fact that the Zygon storyline, quote, wasn't finished, unquote. Well, it it kind of gets to the resolution because he leaves them to settle their differences, doesn't he? Hmm. I, you know, I think, well, I suppose there's a way of looking at it in that it was unfinished. But then, by the same token, there's a way of looking at it. That was the resolution. Hmm. And when the Zygon, I can't remember her name, the Zygon girl, hands the other girl her inhaler, that's like... Uh, that's the moment where you're supposed to see that they're going to resolve it because they can come together. Yeah, I, I found that bit a little bit unbelievable. I mean, I know it's a we're talking about alien creatures and Doctor Who here, but <laughs> you just kind of think about five minutes ago it was about to rip that girl's head off, and then suddenly it's it's handing the inhaler over and going, "Shh, it's okay. Don't worry, we'll be friends now." I I didn't quite buy that, and nor did my son because he went, "Huh? What did that happen?" I went, "Well, I don't know." But yes, it's the Silurian sitting at the table with the humans moment, isn't it? And it's they actually resolve it. It is. But I did think, I did think that if there was one quibble with this episode, then it was that the Zygon storyline was a little undercooked. But the Zygon storyline was really only there a to give the fans the Zygons in the 50th anniversary special, and b to set up all it the sets foreshadowing up the with the pictures and the. Uh, yeah. One thing I must bring up. Go Lee, on. in the last episode, you kept going on about cup of soup. Were you in on something in the background mm-hmm. there? Did you mm-hmm. know what was going on? Cup of soup, cup of soup, eh? I was there. No, it was just a coincidence, mm. mate. <laughs> but yeah, that was. Mark, this is Lee who doesn't even watch trailers. <laughs> I don't even watch trailers. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> um, there, can I just say, there was, there was a moment <coughs> that you might be able to explain to me and, and win me round again, but. Um, I found very difficult to accept that the two other doctors would help out John Hurt with the red button. Um, and especially when you're getting clips and, and little snippets of children running and crying. And, you know, they're about to murder and wipe out all these children. And they're going to give the war doctor a hand so he doesn't feel bad doing it. Um, because, okay, it you been done that a, explained? It, well, it could have been done a better way. You know, the guys could have been... You know, they could have walked away and said, "Well, War Doctor, you make your choice." And then Matt Smith gets no. an idea. What? Well, well, I don't understand. I why. don't think you understand, Lee. Those two doctors have both done it. They're all yeah. still the Doctor. They've both done it. They've, They've already the lived they with had the to guilt. Do that. They both did it. As so the, they don't. They both did it as the Doctor that they decided not to call the Doctor as the War Doctor. They did yeah, but it it's all the same person, Lee. It isn't, though, is it? Because the no, it's the same. Right, Lee, just listen and stop talking for a minute and let me explain. If you've asked for an explanation, let me give it. Go on, then. They are the same person. They are in the future of the same person. They have done it. Not in those bodies, but that person. The doctor pushed the button. They have lived with the guilt of having pushed that button for long enough to know that if they should stand side by side with the iteration who actually pushes the button, they might feel might help that one iteration feel just a little bit easier about doing something so horrible, given that they both know that that horrible thing was done and by him, and if they can just help out a little bit, knowing that that is what happened. They're not changing anything there, they're just making it slightly easier for one person. Yeah, I understood that, I just don't believe it. Well, what's the problem then? Because they are the Doctor. They just would not 
do that. In fact, Matt Smith comes up with a different idea anyway at the end. Well, so, you, yes, but you've been living the last eight years knowing that he did do that, and you've never yeah. brought that up before. Well, not in this way. It's just, okay, maybe it's the way it was shot, that the fact they kept going back to the children, they were about to burn. Yeah. The doctor's about that to was burn the point. children. The fact, the the fact doctors, that he was showing after. Lee, the fact that they kept showing that was what tipped the balance and made the doctors come up with another solution. That's the whole point of the end of it. Shaking his head. Can I just say, on an emotional level, okay, anyone who's gone through counselling or any kind of psychological thing where they've had something happen in their past, the one thing you do is you revisit the person you were at that point and you forgive that person and you help that person and you tell that person that what you did, it's okay. And that is how you bring resolution. And that is what they're doing. They're bringing resolution yeah. to what they've already done. Thank you, Simon. That was brilliantly put. Yeah. Um, let's move on then. That, I appreciate it's going to be what, all about. What I was going to say very quickly is what Lee's saying is Go he on. doesn't believe that the doctor being the doctor would ever have taken part in something like that. But I think the fact is, as you say, he's already done it. He's already so done he's it. Got to yeah. come to, he's got to come to some kind of conclusion about it. As a warrior. Hmm. As a warrior. I know, but that's who he was at the time. And we all do things in our past where we're all different people. We've had this conversation before. We're all different people at different times of our lives. And we make decisions that we wouldn't necessarily make now. But we've still got to come to terms with those. You only have to look at things like dinosaurs on a spaceship or going further back, Terror of the Vervoids, mm. to see that if the Doctor couldn't see any other solution mm. to the Time War than committing genocide on the Daleks and the Time Lords, then for the sake of all the other planets in the universe, that's what he would have to choose to do. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, well, I'll watch it a second time and I'm sure I'll agree with you. I just don't think there was enough there in the whole story to explain the fact that when he's going to press the button and he's going to... I mean, what is he going to do? What 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 is that, What is that weapon going to do? Is it going to just burn people up? Is it going to explode the planet and the Daleks? Is it going to take a ripple out and destroy the rest of the universe? Uh, you know, galaxies and more, more, more people. Yeah, exactly. So No, Gallifrey and the Daleks. Just the Gallifrey That's and the what's Daleks. going. See, for, yeah. for years I just assumed that when he was part of the Time War and the stuff was burning, like the Auton planet and things like that. I mean, he did say, yeah, that's not my fault. But we that's kind of all, not him. No, but we yes, all kind of assumed that, that was what it was. So it's, I just don't think it was explained. Even that's enough. addressed, Lee. Yeah. Even that's addressed by the fact that he dithered about it so long that mm. all those other places got destroyed in the Time War mm. when if he'd have made that decision earlier, they could have been saved. Right. I don't think it helped watching the episode when you were pissed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And also, I think so. A few casual viewers have come to me so far for explanations. I said, Look, "Please don't ask me yet. I haven't watched it eight times." Um, shall we talk about the last two minutes then? I mean, we've already addressed Tom Baker, but okay, mm -hmm. that last shot as he walks out. Okay, it's a dream sequence. He even yeah. says it in the dialogue. It's a dream. But if, yeah. okay, we'll talk about the fact that some people wanted to see all the doctors on screen. And whether or not Colin Baker was actually there in costume, we got to see all the doctors on screen. Mm -hmm. We got to see them in action, taking part in the way the story resolved. Yeah. And then, uh, and of course, during that, we actually, thanks to John Guiler, got to hear William Hartnell say the word Gallifrey, which he's never done before. <laughs> and then we got to see Matt Smith take his place in that lineup, which might have looked a bit faux, but you have to forgive that because the budget wasn't completely unlimited. Yeah. 
And then you got all the faces in the end credits at the end, all the faces that had never been in the title sequence before as well. Yeah, that was a really nice Wasn't that just a beautiful way to finish Mm. the episode? Something really simple but effective. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) A bit like Lee. Hey. Well, on that, I wasn't going to say anything, but I actually think that that lineup was shocking um, when they when they came out the TARDIS. I just thought I cringed like an idiot at that point. I thought, no, please don't do this. I know it's the fiftieth. I know he he's got all these lovely. I mean, just the faces at the end credits was great, but actually, I don't know the back of the heads. Some of the hairstyles weren't right, and you just I don't know. I, it didn't do it for me. That that very last thing was a bit too self indulgent. We didn't really need it. But uh, no, actually, I sound like I'm coming across as miserable about this episode. I, I've just I've, a touch. No, no. But I'm looking at my <laughs> uh, everything I write. I've written down here, Simon. You can. You've turned into me, Lee. You can quantify this. Oh my mate. god! It's that I have actually put here. It's believable. Uh, I love the painting. John Hurt was excellent. Clara was brilliant. Classy and filmic. All this kind of stuff. I put, yes, 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 it's great, it's great, it's great. So actually, I did like it. Uh, the post-apocalyptic kind of Western thing in the shack, that part of it I loved because it was very Judge Dredd in 2000 AD. That, that worked nicely. Well, it was a bit like uh, Judge Dredd in the first Judge Dredd film, yeah, wasn't it? Yeah, it was, I suppose. Yeah, but better. Um, but, but it was nice, yeah. But just one thing. I just seem to be missing something. And I'm probably being an idiot because that's what I'm on the podcast for. Um, it was uh, this... I thought they were trapped in the... Notice how none of us argued with him. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Go on. I thought they were trapped in the Doctor's time stream at the end of Name of the Doctor. What did I miss? How did they get out? You thought what? Weren't they trapped in the Doctor's time stream before? I didn't think they were trapped. They were on the surface of Trenzalore, weren't they? Yeah, but didn't they jump into the... The the Great Intelligence jumped into the Doctor's time stream. Clara did, then the Doctor did. And they were walking past John Hurt, who was in his time stream, saying, oh, we don't talk to him. We don't talk about him. Um, And it ended there. And I thought we were going right. to get to see... I thought that was the clever way of getting to see... But they the weren't doctors. trapped, because Matt Smith went yeah. in to fetch Clara back out, right? Yeah, but we didn't ever see him That would be like out. saying in the episode that follows the Seeds of Doom, well, why aren't they still in the Antarctic then? Well, they got in the TARDIS and they went somewhere else. Oh, no, and no, we didn't get no, to see no, it no, because no. it happened between the... No, come on, because... They weren't trapped. No, no. He went in to fetch her back out. Right, and then how do you get out of the time stream, of your own time stream? Well, the same way you got in, presumably. What? You've seen the invisible enemy. Jumping There's a <laughs> Coming out of his own ear. Yeah, you don't need Through to the see it. <laughs> it's like that weeping angel in the graveyard at the end of uh, Angels Take Manhattan. You don't need to see the Doctor dealing with it to know that he would have... And then you move on to the next story. It's six months since we saw um, the name of the Doctor. We don't need to see how he got out of there. I was uh, I, I was led to believe as a viewer, I'm, I, exp- I think other people felt the same, <clears throat> that the next part, or the 50th, would start either with him trying to get out, or it was a good idea, this would be a way of seeing his past selves, or something, I don't know. But to just kind of no, drop into it and then but, not see him But by thinking that. about that, you're not taking into account the fact that this was being broadcast to 94 countries and something like 70 or 100 million people. A, a mini-sode would have done 90... <laughs> No, those people wouldn't have seen a mini-sode. How many people do you think see the mini-sodes? No, the mini a mini would have explained how he. Got. I don't know. I just assumed. I think I was led a merry. You dance. don't explain, Lee. It has to be a standalone. You don't. You don't come in yeah. from another episode. No, right. It has to stand alone. I forgot it's a Stephen Moffat ep- episode. He doesn't need to explain himself. He just does what he wants, and it's actually it turned out well. So fiftieth was 
was brilliant. But but you, that's yeah. a very snide remark. Is he it? didn't need to explain that they end one episode in one place and then start another episode somewhere else. No, that's else. what I mean. He do, that's what he does. I mean, you know when we get our two-parters from him, that it doesn't explain, it doesn't bridge the gap. You will have one... But it's not a two-parter. That's no, the point. I know, but it's... This is a single-parter. What is? This is a... This, the Day of the Doctor, is an entirely standalone episode. the end of the name of the Doctor. But it doesn't leave you on a cliffhanger. The cliffhanger at the end of the... Na- I think... I think... You, along with probably some other people, yeah. have mistaken the kind of cliffhanger it is. The cliffhanger is the at reveal. the end of is the reveal. It's like the cliffhanger at the end of um, Parting of the Ways, where you get the reveal of Catherine Tate. Mm-hmm. It's the reveal of a person who's going to appear in the next story. It's not a you know continuing story cliffhanger mm. from one episode into the other to make it into a two-parter yeah i know that now. it's just that's just what i assumed when i was watching i just thought oh where did the time stream bit go um yeah but then that's what i'm saying like, you didn't think about the it's, fact it's, that all these millions and millions of people who had not seen the name of the doctor were going to be watching the day of the doctor yeah. it was never going to be a continuation of the story it was always going to stand alone okay so we just assumed that you got out of his time stream Got off Trenzalore and you know, and end up at Coal Hill School with Clara teaching or whatever. It's maybe yeah. if you ask yeah. Simon okay. very nicely, he might uh, come up with uh, a comic strip to explain yeah. what happened between yeah, the two. I was, yeah. I was just thinking fan fiction. It's time. I think I might write something. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, it's no different from ending uh, series five with them going off to fight whatever it was in the Orient Express. And then the Christmas special being something else entirely. Mm. And then season six, series six, rather, starting with Amy and Rory living back at home and not travelling with the Doctor anymore and getting the message on the blue card to go and see him so in it's, the desert. it's not as disjointed as the um, uh, the cliffhanger at the end of, is it Time of Angels? What's the two-parter angel story? Where they're on the roof? Yeah. And, and then it starts the next one and they're on the roof. Oh, he shoots up in the air, that's it. And then the next time they're on the roof and you don't actually kind of get it explained what's happened. That That's disjointed in my head. Well, you did get it explained what had happened because you saw them upside down and you saw that it was a gravity globe that he'd used to shoot them there. Okay. <laughs> that one I remember didn't that, seem uh, problematic to me. Oh, didn't it? No, okay. It did to me at the time. No, there were several problematic things with that story, but I didn't think that was one of them. I think there are other things we've not said. Can anybody think of them? Or well, should we move on? I want to talk about the five-ish Doctors before we wrap up. Oh, yeah. No, I mean to do with this episode, Mark, before we move on to talking about that episode. Well, I think it sets up a really exciting Christmas episode, and I just can't wait to see what he does with it now. I've been so impressed with this episode in particular. People have been knocking Stephen Moffat, and I think it's really harsh. I think he's done an amazing job, and if yeah. it's anywhere near well, as good as this, I'll be very, very you happy. You quite literally get people saying that he can't write, and you look at this mm. and you think, hello? <laughs> yeah, I know. Oh, I don't know if we've addressed the fact that with Gallifrey uh, stuck in a picture or a pocket universe or whatever it is, You've changed the whole... Oh, we have actually touched on it very, very briefly. The Doctor's entire outlook on life changes mm. from this point. Yeah. Instead of being a Doctor who's riddled with guilt, he's now a Doctor who's riddled with hope. 
he's and no I don't think the last of the Time Lords. Exactly. And I don't think we're especially going to see his search for Gallifrey in the same way as we saw, for instance, his search for the key to time. Hmm. Although we may do. It may be that Stephen Moffat wants to tell that story. But I don't necessarily think he will. But the mere fact that it's out there somewhere, I guess you'll probably get references across episodes. You know, I can imagine the next series, the 12 episodes or whatever it is, You'll start with maybe an episode in which Gallifrey's a thing but doesn't get resolved. And then there'll be a few episodes in which sort of throwaway comments to Gallifrey. And in each one you'll get a look from the Doctor. And then maybe you'll get Gallifrey at the end or whatever. But it's not going to be the thing. The thing is that now you've got a Doctor who has optimism where previously he only had pessimism. Yeah. And I just wanted to make sure we'd address that point. The, um, shall I give? A, am I right in thinking that, as, as far as the universe is concerned, Gallifrey just disappeared, and it did? Mm, yeah, it was destroyed. As far the as the universe war. is concerned, yeah. they still think it's destroyed. Yeah. Although now that it's not destroyed, I can imagine we'll get certain characters, um, like the blue guy from series six, yeah. series five and six. Can't remember his name. Dorian. Dorian. That's it. I suspect you. Well, you may or may not. But if it was me, I'd put the occasional character like that into a story hinting strongly to the doctor Gallifrey's out there I can tell you a little bit more about it oh bugger here's a Dalek I'm dead now you're going to have to find out some other way <laughs> I can imagine it you know being he'll find it in much in a bit like a men in black way where he'll he'll find it like stuck in a amulet or something like that around someone's neck mm, yeah possibly possibly mm. um Somebody actually brings that up in an email in a second, so we'll come back to that in a minute. Weird Bean says, Hello, Blue Boxers. I'm only halfway through your very amusing birthday podcast, but wanted to message you while the memories of last night's amazing anniversary special are still fresh in my mind. First things first, congratulations to Mr. and Mrs. Simon. If your big day went half as well as the doctor's, I'm sure it was amazing. <laughs> it was. Uh, and No word of a lie, it was amazing. It went very well. And Lee was an incredible best man. And, and I expect you've been rather busy since then, haven't you, Simon? We have. We have uh, four days' worth of washing up in the kitchen. It is like a scene from With Nell and I. <laughs> Tell him about your breakfast. You've got to say, that you, Simon, your breakfast from Saturday is still in the frying pan hole. Oh, yeah, yeah. Lee cooked me a cooked breakfast on uh, Saturday morning. And um, and you didn't Tuesday, use it, but you left it in the frying pan hole, I know, I ate some hole, of it. Apparently. He made loads of it, but... Um, Oh, okay. My daughter didn't want any of it, so her share is still in the frying pan on the cooker. Ah, oh, right, I've got gotcha. you. <laughs> right, we'd better get back to Weird Bean. He says, um, I absolutely loved the Day of the Doctor. The interplay between the Doctors, reminiscent of the Three Doctors and the Two Doctors, the perfect balance. What more could I have asked for? And then eight other Doctors turn up. And Zygons, Time Lords, Daleks, Lethbridge Stewart, Scarves, Bad Wolf, Timey-Wimey Craziness. The retcon as to why Queen Elizabeth has angry feelings towards the Doctor in the Shakespeare Code was pretty good. And of course, Moffat's done the most amazing rewrite of the entire modern franchise, changing the tone of the Doctor's new series character just in time for a regeneration. Talk about putting your stamp on things. Oh, and then another Doctor turns up, Tom Baker clearly referencing Shada's Professor Cronotis and saying Yabu sucks to that 12 regenerations rule. Well, if he were a doctor, of course. P.S. 
Just wanted to say I totally agree with you guys. This has been an amazing anniversary year. Extra episodes, TV specials, TARDISodes turning up all over TV. No, TARDISes turning up all over TV. References across the beeb, also books, audios, Destiny of the Doctor and Light at the End, both fitting entries into the Doctor Who celebrations, special releases, and then lost episodes turning up. Yep. We are so lucky that a once-cancelled show has had such a phenomenal comeback. I think that pretty much sums it up. Yeah, but um, can I just make the point that Stephen Moffat was the worst choice ever for showrunner. (laughs) And he's (laughs) ruined the anniversary. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. He doesn't know what he's doing. Seriously. You bastard. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, they can all just shut up. Uh, Mark Whiteley says, What a weekend. I hope Simon's was as nice as ours. Uh, the Whiteley household made an event of the day. Harry was really excited that it was the Doctor's birthday, the day of the Doctor, if you will. We made the Dalek cake they showed on Blue Peter and baked the Doctor a TARDIS birthday cake. As I was in charge, both pro- both projects failed abysmally. But it was fun. Then he says, the day of the Doctor, meh. Definitely built up too much. It could never have lived up to my expectations, I'm afraid. Don't get me wrong, there were some beautiful moments, mainly the Doctor's interaction. I watched it at the cinema, and there were some moments when the cinema erupted with laughter. One particular moment was when they came up with the ingeniously complicated plan to get out of the cell, followed by the double joke of Clara strolling in Mm. and the door being unlocked. And of course, all of the Doctors at the end was magic. The glimpse of Capaldi and having Tom back was beautiful. It was just a bit Moffaty, wasn't it? I can honestly say that I was a bit bored at some points. That said, yeah, that said, my mum loved it. The highlight of the anniversary for me was the Five Doctors reboot. What a little gem. I laughed and laughed throughout. I think I woke up the whole neighbourhood when they were trying to get Tom involved (laughs) and it cut to the Sharda Five Doctors scene. Hilarious. I can't believe this wasn't broadcast and was only on the red button. Anyone who missed this has missed the highlight of the anniversary. But you need to be a fan to enjoy it. That's why it wasn't broadcast. Yeah, I think it's a fair point. Well, and also the fact that it was a home movie. That's another reason for not broadcasting it on BBC One. And it was an absolute fanboy thing. That's why it wasn't for general public consumption. So anyone wants to watch it can watch it. So there you go. Exactly. Nevertheless, it was brilliant. Look, there's two more emails. I'll do one more. Then we'll talk a bit about the five-ish doctors. And then we'll have the last email and go, shall we? Mm-hmm. Along with our roundup of what we thought of the whole weekend, or the month even as a whole. But Sean M. Vale says on the Five Ish Doctors, how wonderful Colin Baker was the best part. I've been a fan of his for a long time, despite the terrible scripts and companions during his tenure. He provided most of the laughs, although Sylvester's Hobbit name drops and cameos <laughs> were also fantastic. <laughs> What a great weekend for fans of Doctor Who. It was so great to see my husband's and my friend's reactions to both Tom Baker's appearance in The Day of the Doctor and Matt Smith's in An Adventure in Space and Time. They were very affected by both and even allowed me to replay An Unearthly Child with no complaints. Although, having seen An Adventure in Space and Time, they all wanted to see the original pilot instead with the uh, bumping cameras and such like. Hmm. Sean M. Vale. Uh... So, the five-ish doctors. Did we all see it for a start? Yes. Lee hasn't. He's taken his headphones off, so he has. Uh, Lee has oh, left has the he? room just for the moment. Okay, fair enough. What did you think, Simon? 
I love that. Of course I did. <laughs> and I'm really How impressed could anybody with not? Peter Davison's writing. Really impressed. Yeah. It was. Yeah, it was very well written, very Have well executed. Have you guys executed. seen any of the skits he's done when he hasn't been able to appear at Gallifrey? Because he's done a couple of much oh, no. I've no. seen the um, like Legally Blown one. I've seen that one. Mm, yeah, so they're very funny. So he's got previous for that sort of thing, and he's just expanded on it's it. It's kind of this a one. Ricky Gervais it's... thing going on, isn't there? Yeah. Oh, yeah, very much so. They're they're all great sports. You know, they all um, are quite happy to send themselves up. Mm, mm. Oh, well, look at this. John Barrowman. Don't tell anybody <laughs> about my family. Yeah. <laughs> I always suspected he was straight. Uh, I mean, I don't know what you can really say about it. If people listening haven't seen it, I don't want to spoil the ending. Mm, yeah. But yeah. it's... If you haven't seen it for 30 minutes, and I just wonder a little bit if some of the comments that were made, especially by maybe Colin Baker Mm. in the run-up to the anniversary, where he says, oh, we're not involved, and sort of grumps a bit. Yeah. I wonder if that was deliberate grumping to kind of set the scene for this. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Because if you haven't seen it... Social media sort of uh, plan to... Yeah, maybe, just a little bit. Hmm. (laughs) If you've not seen it, what it is, is Peter Davison, Colin Baker, and Sylvester McCoy, and we shan't say any more than that, trying to get themselves involved in the anniversary special. Uh, I was going to say, and failing spectacularly, or not. did they? Yes, (laughs) you'll have to watch it to find out. But it was, without a doubt, one of the funniest, most heartfelt and most touching yeah. moments in the anniversary, to be honest. I thought the, the very last bit, I won't spoil it, but the very last bit that you see, oh, it's really real sort of heartwarming stuff. And there are, I shan't spoil it by saying who any of the others are, but everybody who's seen it will know, there are mm. some, frankly, astonishing cameos. Mm, yeah. And there are some really... And I'm not just talking about in the world of Doctor Who, but Mm. elsewhere as well, but also in the world of Doctor Who, there are some really important and powerful Mm. people sending themselves up like crazy Mm. in this, Mm. isn't there? It's just, well, it's just frankly beggars belief. And the fact that it exists at all is a minor miracle. The fact that it's so good just elevates it. I'm hoping it makes its way onto a DVD box set in some way. Mm. I do too. I was really lucky, actually. I learned about it just before I left for London Mm -hmm. and I was in London on both nights when it was going to be on the red button and then it struck me just before I left knowing that I wouldn't be able to leave it to record on the red button on a Sky Plus that actually I could try and record it off um, the Freeview red button service because that's got a channel of its own hasn't it? Mm. I've never used Freeview so it Mm. never struck me to do that before so I left a disc recording and the disc recorded for 50 minutes because that's all that was left on it. Yeah. And it started 20 minutes in. And Whoa. so I got to the end of the first episode <laughs> at about another 10 seconds on top of that yeah. before the disc ran out. Uh. Unbelievably lucky. <laughs> Excellent. But yeah, I was chuffed when I found out. I, you know, I, I'm sure the listeners are absolutely thrilled to hear about how chuffed <laughs> I was. <laughs> One of my favourite moments is um, when they're all getting onto the coach and they're all very pleased with themselves. And Colin does an almost Oliver Hardy style look straight into the camera, holds up his bottle of champagne and gives it a little smile and jumps on. It's brilliant. <laughs> These are the sort of silly little things that um, amuse me is is the bit where um, the security guard gets their autographs. <laughs> 
And then you yeah. see them walk off, and all you hear is still Mr. McCoy saying, I've got his pen. <laughs> <laughs> it's fantastic. Look, we better not spoil any more, no, because no. I'm sure there are... Because it, it did come so out of left field and mm. by surprise. I'm sure there are a lot of people who've not seen it. It so. is on the official BBC site at the moment. So if you go into... I don't know I if it's region I locked, think it's but... only got four days left, I think I saw today. Uh, I only watched it for the first mm. time today. So that's opportunity. I'm sure it'll turn up. I'm sure it'll turn up elsewhere on the internet. Yeah. It's it just, may be on the BBC YouTube feed as well because they tend to put things like that up on there as well. So. Let's hope so. Yeah. It's called Let's the Five-ish Doctors Reboot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I mean... If you look for the fish doctor on um, Twitter, yeah, I'm sure have links there. They, yeah, um, one more email, Ian Martin, regarding Moffat teases the regeneration count problem. Did you hear about this? Yeah, he says some people are honestly going to be aggrieved when Michael Jason doesn't appear in a twelfth Doctor story. Some people just can't count and are frothing that Capaldi must be the final incarnation. Others citing that whole War Games punitive face change fandango as a non-regeneration. <laughs> Some say her is just a really aged McGann. Others that he's the spawn of a regenerating handy doctor. It's the level of anger directed at Moffat that scares me and the level of self-righteousness that their theory must be the right one. Patently, actually, he sent this to us before the weekend. Because mm. some of these things have been answered now. Uh, he says, me, I think when the actor after Capaldi decides to call it a day, which has obviously become Capaldi stroke Matt Smith now, mm. they'll just say he absorbed all the regeneration energy from all the dying Time Lords during the war and that he can go on forever. Right, that was the preamble. Since then, he's got back to me with this. I've seen the quote from Moffat saying that Matt Smith is the 13th incarnation, allowing for the War Doctor and the Handy Doctor for F's sake. Thus, he can't <laughs> regenerate again, so the Christmas special will therefore be quite moving. Now then, might this explain why the Doctor couldn't regenerate in Let's Kill Hitler? And if so, that makes Moffat even cleverer and more long-term Machiavellian than we'd given him credit for. Well, of course, well, not giving him credit, he'd have thought it. Fan entitlement in Doctor Who? No, never. But the point is, well, I'm not entirely sure Stephen Moff can count either. Well, <laughs> I wouldn't like to count. Uh, well, he proved he couldn't count at the start of The Girl in the Fireplace. I don't like to count the Handy Doctor because David Tennant's Doctor didn't turn into the Handy Doctor. The Doctor, the Handy Doctor was born of the David Tennant Doctor, a bit like when a slow worm loses its tail. Mm. That's not a regeneration, is it? Um, I think Tom Baker said it best when he said, does it really matter? Well, yeah. And if it makes for a bloody good Christmas episode, then I suppose that's the most important thing. Yeah. I was just hoping that Peter Capaldi would be the last Doctor so that we could so that we could enjoy the journey knowing that was what he was feeling inside throughout those episodes. It would be quite cool to have that element of peril because you're kind mm. of always convinced that the Doctor's going to be okay because even if he dies you know, he regenerates. Farm, he will come back again but if you have but that so hanging lived... over you it would have been quite cool. So if Matt Smith is the last Doctor then we've lived through the last four years not knowing it. Mm. But then if John Hurt's Doctor in um, The Day of the Doctor is a sort of relatively last minute idea then probably Stephen Moffat didn't even know himself that Matt Smith was going to be the last Doctor until now. So... I guess we just have to take it as it comes. So, to, <clears throat> where, where does the value come in? 
Forget it, Lee. Tell me. Okay, we've been on for so long, so we'll keep this to about a minute each. Has the anniversary lived up to your expectations, and was it in any way a disappointment, or were you happy with it? Lee, seeing as you're there. Uh, the episode or the whole of it all together? The weekend, the celebration, yeah. the fact that it was the anniversary. Um, yes, it did. I mean, the fact is that we were focused and concentrated on wedding stuff, so we didn't get to see what was going on kind of around that, so we weren't in going to parties and things. But do you know what? We had the best time watching it at midnight after the wedding, and it felt really special. So we had a great time watching it, and actually the build-up and the lead-up to it and all the extra stuff, the mini-sodes, just all the documentaries oh it's just been creamy thank you <laughs> simon what did you given that you also got married in the middle of all yeah, this but what did you what make of the doctor who stuff the doctor who stuff <coughs> yeah it's 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 funny um mentioned on a previous podcast we were lucky enough to talk to saul metstein about it and he was saying about um the fact that there was only going to be one episode and uh, he had a theory that a lot of the money had been tied up with doing it in 3D. So that's why mm. we only got one episode. Um, but I certainly don't think it suffered for that. In fact, I think it's better for it, really. And these minisodes have just been amazing. I mean, I wonder what we would have got if it had been more than one episode. Would we, would we have, have had a whole episode with Paul McGann? But I, I just think we've had the most incredible year. It really hasn't. It's all been built well, up have had, so. If we'd have had more than one episode, we wouldn't have had the whole cinema simulcast thing. No, mm. no. I, I, do you know what? We haven't touched on that, and I think it's another conversation for another time. I was going to dredge up the old conversation we had about Maybe, whether yeah. there should be a Doctor Who film, but that was so filmic. And I wanted to make the point that um, it, it's just, every Doctor Who episode is a stepping on point, and the theory that a film needs to be something to introduce Doctor Who to people... I think is kind of a bit like the X Factor of Doctor Who. It's like a shortcut. It's like people go on X Factor to, for a shortcut to a career. Do you necessarily want to make a Doctor Who film that's a shortcut to people becoming a Doctor Who fan? When actually the best way it works... Uh, I don't is think that's long... what the point of a Doctor Who film would be, you don't. Simon. I, I do. I do think that. I think that's the reason why film companies would make it, is, is in order to... Well, no, I don't think the reason why you know warner's made the harry potter films was as a stepping on point for people to read the books i think they made the movie because they wanted to make dollars at okay the box well yes it's a quick fix a quick fix of doctor who and i don't think that's the way doctor who works i think it's a long game and that's me bye-bye <laughs> <laughs> mark did you think all the anniversary stuff was appropriate yeah, I mean, aside from all the other stuff we had through the year, with the books and the big finish releases and all the other stuff, I thought the weekend in itself was great. Um, the build-up to it with the, the documentaries, the ultimate guide. Uh, we haven't mentioned the after-show party. That was entertaining in its own way, but we won't go there. Um, well, I was going to say, actually, you know when we were talking about an adventure in space and time, and I yeah. said seeing the companions in the background was distracting. Yeah. Yeah, exactly the same thing <laughs> happened at the after-show party, and I couldn't have been happier about mm -hmm. it. Yes, Did you see the presenter yeah, with a large face? <laughs> um, yeah, this is slightly the there with Zoe Ball, we've got a really large face. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. And what a shame for One Direction that their bit went horribly wrong. <laughs> Did it? What happened? But never mind. <laughs> yeah. Anywho, anywho. No, I thought it was brilliant. I thought the episode itself was fantastic. Um, and that brief teaser trailer for the Christmas episode just makes me 
very excited for the future. One grumble. I've got one grumble. Right, one grumble is that bloke who was introducing the best monsters or something. Oh yeah. God. What an annoying guy. Is he supposed to be a comedian? I, I, I can't talk. He can't talk. He was useless. Oh, grumble about. Well, I'm, I'm oh, glad yeah, we've yeah. left it on a positive yeah, note. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, you've got to have a grumble. Anyway, I was Mark. <laughs> Hang on a minute, what about JR? Hang on, I've not given my <laughs> minutes worth on I was me. <laughs> Come on, JR, please, let's leave this on a positive note. I couldn't have asked for anything more, and I couldn't be happier than with what we had. I was JR. I was Lee. I was Mark. And I was Simon. And we'll speak again soon. <laughs>